0: is DK. Welcome to the Wheelprint Podcast. This podcast is created to uncover the inside game of adaptive athletes, their untold stories of what drives them and makes them tick. So be prepared to be inspired as we discover the trials and triumphs of the human spirit. Enjoy this show. Podcast. Today's guest is someone very near and dear to my heart, as is her family. Bailey Moody is 22 years old, if I did my research right, and is a single amputee and a senior at the University of Alabama. She is a bronze medalist of the USA Paralympic team that uh, competed in Tokyo. Uh, there's so much more to uh, unpack, uh, but we'll get into that over the next uh, portion of this episode. Bailey, welcome to your first Wheelprint podcast.
1: I'm happy to be here, DK.
0: Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you're you're uh, you're looking good, all in red. I I just banter or chatter a little bit with you but we have a lot to get through as as i put together uh some of my outline uh for your episode uh you have uh got a lot going on and a lot to say and uh i want to start right away are you good with that
1: i'm ready let's do it
0: all right all right well uh why don't you begin with telling us uh when or how old you were that first day that you started to feel knee pain and then it became a life challenging moment in time uh can you kind of uh explain that process that happening
1: Yeah. So I was 10 years old when I started to have knee pain. I, we didn't really think anything of it initially. I was playing literally every sport that you could dream of at some point during that time. I think I was in my tennis season, starting my tennis season, finishing up softball. Um, The weekend that my pain really got bad, I had played a doubleheader softball game and had a tennis match. So we thought it was growing pains or some sort of sports injury or something of the sort. We never really thought it would be a diagnosis of cancer. Um, But my my aunt, she's a physical therapist. She looked at my knee and she went to my parents and she said, you might want to get this checked out. So All in all, it was about a six-week process, Um, but as soon as we went in for the x-ray, they immediately scheduled me for an MRI, and I think in about three or four days, I was starting chemo. So once we started getting on top of it, things moved really, really quickly from me being a really normal fourth-grade 10-year-old kid playing sports to me being surrounded by nurses starting chemotherapy treatment. Mm
0: -hmm. Surrounded by nurses is never a good thing. But uh, since, um, you know, you are involved with, well, first of all, September is Childhood Mm -hmm. Cancer Awareness Month, and we just happen to be here. Uh, But you are involved with the Cure Kids Campaign, um, and why don't you uh, tell us what that role looks like and what it means to you?
1: Yeah, so Cure Childhood Cancer is a a basically a nonprofit organization that focuses on raising money for research, but also supporting families and, and of the kids that are going through the treatment and, and going to the hospital and giving them what they need and the support that they need. So it kind of focuses on two two realms of, of the childhood cancer world, um, which I believe are very important. But they they did such a good job while I was sick of coming around me and also doing things to, to, to raise money for research that now every year we do. We're part of their campaign and fundraiser of, of trying to raise money in September. Um, but I've done some things with them over the years. I've done some speaking engagements with them, try to engage with them as much as I can um, and try and kind of get that, that word out there through kind of promoting that nonprofit
0: yeah what awesome work and uh i'm sure so many can benefit from what you bring to the table um is my guess um a lot of experience and uh hope and wisdom in terms of how you've handled and what you're doing with your life now um and on the same subject yesterday uh, you had a timing facebook post that uh reflect reflected your feelings and uh you were creating some awareness about your situation but not limited just to yours uh why don't you explain the nature and intent of that post realizing that maybe many people have not seen it
1: yeah, so yeah. referring to I've posted twice about September since September started are you referring to the video or the series of pictures? Uh
0: probably the pictures and ro- rotation plasty.
1: Yeah, so I I had a really at the time a very rare form of amputation called a rotation plasty. Since I had my surgery, it has blown up in popularity and I just feel like there's probably three times as many kids getting it as there was when I was getting it. But um, it's basically a a form of amputation where they take out the infected portion of the leg, the knee joint, that's where my tumor was. And they rotate the bottom portion of the leg 180 degrees and reattach it at the thigh. So they reconstruct my leg so that my ankle is backwards and my ankle, my backwards ankle functions as my knee. It's kind of wacky and crazy, but it was what gave me the best option to resume an active lifestyle in the way that I wanted. My goal was to get back to athletics and get back to being the active kid that I was. And rotation plasty was the option out of the three that I was given that would give me that 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 road to recovery. None of the options were they have to remove the tumor. They can't leave it in, especially with osteosarcoma, with bone cancer you have to do some sort of surgical removal in addition to the chemotherapy treatment. So none of the options were great, but that was the option for me that would give me the closest lifestyle to what I had pre-cancer.
0: And that as an option, is that still a common practice as we did here talking today?
1: It's interesting. I wouldn't, I don't know that I would necessarily use the word common. I think people are really scared away by the way that it looks. It looks really funky. And especially for females, it's tough because generally speaking, you don't look like everybody else. And parents are scared away by that. Osteosarcoma is found in in younger children. And so a lot of times the parents are very heavily influenced and involved in the decision making process. So it's not like the most popular option that they give, but I think, and in, in, in you can kind of see this in the kids that are that are doing well and responding well, is that Rotation Plast D has had a really good success rate as far as kids being able to continue to play sports, continue to hike, play outside, be in the ocean, ride a bike, do things that they were doing before that the other options just really don't offer in the same way.
0: Yeah, well, I really appreciate you know, your willingness and honesty to, to talk about uh, uh, that. And that, you know, I think it's, it's understandable uh, the fear that people would have. But particularly, like you said, women or girls, uh, you know, when we talk about body image between, you know, male and female, there, there's some differences and uh, perceptions. So, uh, I think it's important to bring up, and uh, I, I appreciate uh, you doing that. Um, but now, having talked about uh, losing your leg and how you adjusted to the surgery of rotation plasty, am I saying that right?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: All right, cool. But now uh, this active 10-year-old and, uh, you know, moving into uh, other years, somehow you found wheelchair basketball or it found you. Um, Why don't you tell us how that happened?
1: Yeah, so I – did about eight months of chemotherapy. Uh, and in the middle of those eight months was when I had my amputation. So I was basically in a period of kind of trying to rehab, but also finishing chemotherapy for about four months. But as soon as I finished chemo, it was, I hit the ground running to, I wanted to, I wanted to get back to, playing basketball as quickly as I could. Basketball was my first love. It's still my love. I I love the game and I wanted to play it and I wanted to feel normal again. And I wanted to do what I enjoyed and feel like a kid again. So that was a very big driving force in me working so hard in physical therapy. I think a lot of people think that I have the false illusion that it, it was easier than it was because I, I, how hard I worked behind the scenes kind of allowed me to gain progress really quickly. So people looking in necessarily wouldn't necessarily see all of that. Um, but I finished chemo in end of October, early November. And then by December of that year, I was playing basketball, stand up basketball in a rec league, kind of just walking the ball up up and down the court and kind of facilitating the offense. So, and then from there, I think about a whole year passed, and I was really feeling good on my leg and I was, playing volleyball with my middle school, playing stand-up basketball with my middle school, playing tennis with my middle school. Um, but then kind of as the other kids and as my friends started to get faster because they had two legs, I was working as hard as I could and keeping up, but just working so hard to get down to the other end of the court that I wasn't enjoying it as much as I did. Um so my parents kind of looked into the idea of, of adapted athletics and para athletics and the Paralympics and what that looks like um, ended up kind of hunting down Laura Webster, who had a rotation plasty. She is a sitting volleyball team USA member. My dad like hunted down her family and ended up connecting her with my mom and like ended up talking to her. And she was like, You know, because she she played stand up volleyball all the way through college, and then transitioned to sitting volleyball, and so she was able to kind of give us our her perspective on just the opportunities that the Paralympics bring, and that me getting involved in wheelchair basketball could bring in the opportunities to travel the world and have these just different experiences that I wouldn't necessarily have ever had if I had two legs. So my parents found a local wheelchair basketball team, and I. I got in the chair and I started playing and I loved it and I fell in love and that was what I wanted to do. And I really didn't look back. And then over the years, as I got into high school, wheelchair basketball kind of just crept in and crept in and took more priority over my life and more priority until it was kind of what I was training for. And USA became a possibility and the opportunities for that started presenting themselves. And it's just been amazing from there
0: yeah uh amazing doesn't really describe what what you've been able to do and and uh accomplish to today but uh you know our history goes back to that period in time when uh i coached uh the charlotte team and you played for the atlanta team and program and uh I I have a lot of confidence that I have a keen eye for for talent and I I'm, I noticed you in that regard. Um, and yet uh Atlanta's program always a powerhouse while I was coaching. just I don't know that we ever beat you and or Atlanta until I stopped coaching. Uh I think Charlotte started to get the upper hand at some point. Um but why don't you talk about that uh you know I think it was Blaze in the beginning. I don't know if it's still Blaze, but uh what that experience was like um on a power program team uh, but made up primarily of boys, and uh, what kind of challenges did that bring? Uh, interacting with all boys on the floor.
1: So I think I think that playing with boys is something that's very good, as long as you are ready to play with boys in a sense that knowing. They're generally going to be bigger, stronger, faster, pretty physical. It's good. It pushes you, especially as a female athlete playing. like When I was 14, playing against 18-year-old boys, um, it pushes you. It can be frustrating at times. I have a lot of really good relationships with a lot of the guys that I played in high school with. A couple of them play at Bama now, so we play together for since I've started the sport. Um, I think sometimes it can be challenging for younger girls in staying in the sport in general, just because sometimes you can get a little pushed out. And, and I think there, since I played, there have been a lot of, there's been a lot of, um, trying to keep women in the sport, especially younger women in the sport, um, and giving them opportunities to play with other women. I think It's, it's important to do that. I think playing with guys does have its benefits, but it is nice to, to get to play with other females and get to kind of play that game. Cause I think that the, the, the men's game and the women's game game does have its differences. Um, I'm very thankful for how much playing with guys pushed me in high school to be a better athlete and be faster and stronger. Um, gives you a little bit of adversity too. I was able to compete with them, which is, which is awesome. And then transitioning into playing basically exclusively with women on a college team and a USA level has also been nice to one, not have to switch back and forth between the the different size basketballs um, because that was interesting for a time, but also just to connect with other women and have, have that similarity in the sport.
0: Yeah, Right on. And, and everyone that plays and knows about there's a ball size difference between men and women. But if you're not really connected to uh, the knowledge of that, um, there is a difference in size and women and girls uh, go back and forth from a men's ball to a women's size ball and they do really well but it it it, it is difficult at times um, and uh but that segways you, you know you brought up uh the usa possibilities but before uh not before but you started your search for uh enrolling in college and i know i had discussions uh with you mostly with uh hunter as you called your dad uh patrick about you you know options and where to go and how to make a decision and that's difficult i think for everyone uh but what you know, I think it'd be really helpful, especially for a lot of young girls or even boys that are looking uh, to 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 try to determine where to go, uh, how your experience is, uh, to share that now with how you came to Bama uh, in the end.
1: I think it's important to recognize that everybody's college decision is based on a number of factors. I didn't, obviously you want to have good basketball and good coaching and good opportunity for that. I think that's very important, but I also think that in choosing a college, you should factor in other things just in case you you never know basketball could end and you don't want to be somewhere where you wouldn't love it, even if you weren't playing basketball. And I think, me choosing Alabama involved like, it was, there was a number of factors that went into making that decision. Bama is really close to my family. I have a lot of really young siblings and family is very important to me. So me being able to get home is important to me. Um, I believe that Bama has the best facilities and the best program in the nation, as far as what they're able to offer. Um, As far as just with my sport and coaching and, and, and arena and just different opportunities in that. So basketball was really high up there. Um, Bama's campus is beautiful. Their academics are great. I grew up an Auburn fan, which was really hard to get over. But Bama just was able to give me such a well-rounded college decision in so many areas. And I'm still so thankful for that because I have a really good life outside of basketball as well so there's a good balance between being able to excel in my sport and train in my sport but also have a life and have friends outside of basketball as well that are able to support me and and I can spend time with them so um I think when people make college decisions they should kind of involve all of those things because college there's so much that college can offer and 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 education and basketball are very equally important things um in Terms of future. So that's what I looked at. I never, if you had told 10 year old me that I would be attending the University of Alabama, I would have laughed in your face. And here I am and I love it. And it's absolutely been the best decision for me. But my parents went to Auburn, my aunt and uncle went to Auburn. Like it runs in my blood. So it is kind of funny how that works sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I totally get it. You know, um, and I remember uh, again, because uh, I had a little bit of involvement at, at that critical juncture, when you were considering Auburn, but they didn't have a women's team at the time, and you would have had to, if I'm not if I'm remembering it right, you were con- considering beginning, to play on the men's team with the hopes that a women's team was coming. Do I remember that correctly, or?
1: Yes, that's my correct. Eyes? My my idea kind of involved me playing on the men's team for a couple of years, and then eventually starting the women's team and working with Rob to do that. Um, so yeah, Auburn was up there in my list as well. It Bama just had a much more um,
0: developed women's team. Yeah, and you mentioned Rob. For everyone out there, that's Rob Taylor, head coach of the uh, men's team, uh, the, the US Paralympic team. And uh, he, he's he's done a great job filling in, af- not filling in, but taking over uh, for Hall of Fame, Ron Likens, uh, who who has a couple of two, three gold medals to his uh resume, Ron Likens does. Um but yeah, interesting because you're you were deep rooted into uh Auburn and yet you ultimately made the, the best decision uh to go crimson. Uh as much as that may have Cut across your DNA growing up, but you know you do what you do. That makes sense, and uh, I I can appreciate that. Um, but you know, you, you at that time and in, in between, you're being uh, touted as a a national team prospect or developmental player, and uh you have your first USA national team tryout how how old were you for the first senior women's national team
1: i was 16 years old when i tried out for my first senior hmm. national team and when i made my first senior women's national team i went to a development camp at 15 and basically was just trying to start to get my name out there. And Trooper Johnson came up to me uh, and Excel Gonzalez at the end of the, the camp and basically said, I want you guys to come try out for the senior team in January. We looked at each other like, what is happening? I thought when I went to that tryout camp that I was just trying to be shown kind of the level that I need to get to. Um the level of play that it was, and then I ended up making that team and have participated ever since. So my first team was 2018 World Championships in Hamburg, Germany, and I've competed on every team since.
0: Yeah! Wow, wow! I mean, yeah, you know, you 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 got the word that you were getting a tryout, but you were said, and you said, "What's happening?" Uh, but how exciting was that to make that phone call to your parents? Uh, or maybe they were there and, and just to be able to tell them that you had a tryout.
1: Um, they were blown away. I think we all kind of expected, including me, kind of expected that Paris 2024 would be what I had my eyes on not like not at all Tokyo 2020. So development camp to selection camp, things were moving so quickly and then into kind of that quad. Uh, it just kind of all happened so quickly. But my parents were so invested. My dad would be up crunching numbers, trying to figure out, give get ideas on like who was at the tryout and they were going to take 12. So like who were the people that were going to, I don't know. My dad was so funny and analytic and always wanting the scoop all the time um they were so excited they're my biggest fans but it's just I'm yeah they I think they cried when I told them I made my first team it was yeah they were so excited
0: yeah well cool stuff and knowing your dad I know how invested and your mom uh in in you and and your future um we're going to talk a little bit in a minute about them uh yeah so you win uh you know your your first experience and you get on the medal stand you you win a bronze medal and uh now now you're you leave pretty soon uh in october or or in the end of September, when do you head for the under 25 Bangkok Thailand tour again?
1: Yeah, so we have our send off camp end of September. We leave, I think, October 1st or something close to that for Thailand to go compete in my second U25 World Championships. So, and the first time I was a I was a year. I had a year of USA under my belt. Now I have six or seven, and so I'm more of a veteran player this time, which is very exciting. Um, but I'm excited about this new group of girls as well that's kind of coming into the pool and on this U25 team. I just I'm really stoked to see what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then you have got a minute, and and before you know it. Uh Paris and 2024, the Paralympic Games are uh right there. So
1: we have, was, we have our qualifiers for that in Chile in November. So it's a very <laughs> quick turnaround between U25 and October and Chile in November.
0: Yeah. As I was putting all this together, I just looked at what what's coming down the pike. And what a fast track.
1: Absolutely.
0: What a fast track for a 22 year old, uh, Alabama student with, uh, it just makes me shake my head. Uh, but it really seems like you're living the dream, uh, you know, and, uh, you have three national championships to your name on top of that at the University of Alabama uh so you know the question is will it be four in a row I already know what you're gonna say but will it be four four in a row in your senior season
1: uh obviously I want it to be four in a row I you finish that one year, you win. It feels great. And then you're like, okay, on to the next one. Let's go win another. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's the goal is for. Well, with COVID, I have six years of eligibility, so I'm going to be around for a while.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that that was kind of my next question was what's next for Bailey after you graduate?
1: So I'll graduate in May with my bachelor's in psychology, and then I'll go into my master's and stay at Alabama. So we get our five years. And then with COVID, we basically got our first year back. So I had a year of education, but didn't burn a year of eligibility. So and basically had a whole season my freshman year. And then so I'll continue and do a two-year master's program at Alabama. This is a plan.
0: Yeah, and I I really hope the listeners understand, uh, you know, uh, the underlying message being woven is one is is hard work, determination uh, equals results. But the fact of the matter is uh, that education and and, uh, academics is a benefit and an outcome from when it first started as a junior uh, you're able to set your sights on what we're talking about right now and uh, eventually with all this higher learning you will be a contributing member of society in in a career that uh, probably will defy description What's your thoughts on your future in that regard?
1: Um, I, yeah, so I'm really interested in sports psychology. I'm interested in kind of working with athletes in the mental health side of, of their sport and what that looks like and, and working with getting them to where they are in order to perform consistently and have consistent mental performance as well. And But I'm also very interested in, in public speaking and being able to share my story and travel and and be kind of in influence for younger athletes, specifically younger girls in, in what they're trying to do and accomplish. And um, so it's kind of very broad, but I'm looking for opportunities in order to do that. Um, but yeah, it, psychology is, is something that is fascinating to me. I think the mental side of the game is super important and I've seen it really play a big factor in my game and in my performance. So I want to be able to help other athletes kind of excel in that area. And also I would love to continue playing USA basketball as long as I can. So whether that's 28, 32, 30, like I have no idea. I'm just going to keep playing until I can anymore. Um, But yeah, the future, the future is bright in that, in that area. And college has allowed me to kind of explore those options and get an education that allowed me to do those things.
0: Yeah. Well, and using, you know, sports psychology and uh, you know, teaching young girls and or adults Uh, it's not limited. Uh, The benefit is not limited just to sport. Uh, You would be able to take and transfer all that learning to career, to family, to other initiatives in your life and make it work for you, right?
1: Absolutely. It's so flexible in what I'll be able to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had mentioned that I thought you're living the dream. Do you believe that?
1: I believe that. I also believe, though, that the dream is bigger than basketball. I believe that. Yeah, I'm living the dream. Yeah, I'm working really hard to to accomplish the things that I've accomplished. And, And these these blessings have come into my life because of the great suffering that I've been through. But I also believe that there's it's bigger than just winning a gold medal. It's so it's it's opportunities to impact people, opportunities to share my story, opportunities to use this for a greater good. And there's such a huge platform and responsibility to do that because of where I am and because of what I've accomplished. So yeah, basketball is so fun and my favorite thing. And I work really hard at it, and I want to win a gold medal at a Paralympics. Um, But I also know that there's a lot more than winning as well with, with the level of play that I'm at and the platform that I have.
0: Yeah. You're, you're laying down what I can totally relate to because I, I truly believe that, uh, you know, championships medals and when it gets down to it, it's really just the fodder uh, and, what we've done to change uh mankind womankind you know there's so much work to do with women and girls uh i just uh drove to rocky Mount, north carolina three and a half hours away for the first ever three on three tournament for just women and uh I was so grateful to be part of that historical moment but uh and i'm only saying that because i realize that in in a sense that's almost a crime that it's the first one you know you got to start somewhere but come on uh you know i've had 20 years of putting on -on three-on-three um so i'm really grateful but i can see where you would be able to roll your sleeves up and, and really contribute and i i i've always felt it it is not about what i what i do it's about who i do it for you know uh that really matters um but Here comes the big question related to whether it's living the dream and, and however that, whatever that means to you, uh, how does your faith, how does the coolest, most supportive parents and siblings factor into your life today?
1: It's every, it's the core of my being. It's deeper than basketball. It's, How I live my life. I want to live my life because of my faith to love others well and to have an impact on other people, but also just to build relationships with other people and and share my story in a way that that shows that I like I I desire to love my teammates as best as I can. I desire to love the people that I am surrounded with at any point in time. And be able to kind of give them my full attention and, and allow them to kind of, you know, have conversations and grow and know that I'm someone that is, is going to love them unconditionally and be steady in their lives. Um, I think my parents have raised me to, to be that way. I attribute a lot of that to my faith that I've grown up with. Um, I my family is very important to me as well. They're also my rocks. They are my biggest cheerleaders. My siblings and I have a great relationship. They cheer me on. We're so close because of what we've been through together, and and that's what allows me to then turn around and go out and and love people and participate in my sport and do it for the glory of God, but also um, because I've been called to impact people, love people. And and do my best and work my hardest.
0: Yeah, well said. Well said. I I couldn't wait to ask that question. Um, and another segue. So it's a time and age of athlete branding, branding and partnerships at the elite level. Um. You have a publicist, uh, and uh, the company, or is called Grit. Uh, is that, that's an acronym? So, can you tell us what is it? What does the acronym stand for? Uh, just because I'm curious.
1: <laughs> well, Grit PR is basically a it's Amy Chastain and her whole goal is to work with college athletes in building that PR. A lot of times, you know, people don't really hire PR managers in college, publicists in college. It's not really something that people have been doing before the age of NIL. And now that NIL is a thing that's becoming more of an opportunity. And Amy's very focused on finding those college athletes that have grits and that are working for their future and excelling in their sport and wanting more and finding them and, and starting to work with them and and build their image and their brand in the media. So she's been great. Um, She's also brought on a lot of other athletes that, that I admire that are very talented. And um, just through doing that, the goal is to begin to kind of build my brand and, and, start kind of creating a career for myself through this basketball um, through team USA through my collegiate experience. Um, just trying to build that as best I can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna kind of circle back to this because it's all connected and and uh, through your partnership now too with uh, Dromos Marketing Agency and Ishtaniere. Uh, who uh, is uh, your agent focusing on brand deals, partnerships, and sponsorships, and also my marketing partner and who's helped me put on this podcast, do all my events. One of the greatest moves I ever made was uh, bringing her into my world as intimidated as i was by the whole scene Um, but this isn't about me this is about you uh so uh, what you have quite a team to help you navigate and capitalize in the corporate world and support your brand uh how did it come now you, you even mentioned that not many athletes have a publicist uh but you have you have both a publicist and a marketing uh agent how did you come to the realization to that need and that direction uh because you're kind of blazing a trail in adapted sports
1: yeah, so that's part of the the motivation to do that is I think, well, first off, I there's this need, but there's also this perfect pocket of people are starting to jump on the Paralympics bandwagon as far as kind of starting to get some more equality in kind of the Paralympics and the Olympics being at the same level. um. So there's this perfect pocket. There's not really a lot of female athletes right now that are in team sports that are taking advantage of that pocket. Um, but also there's also still a great need for education in the world of specifically collegiate uh, para-athletics and adapted athletics Um. being seen as equal um, with their other athletics on campus, but also just in the greater grand scheme of things for, for, para sports and and what that looks like and I think I have the tools necessary in order to kind of be that I just need help getting there and so Amy reached out to me uh first about a, over a year ago we started working together lots of conversations with my dad in the back kind of trying to figure out talk through is this what I something I want to do he kind of he let me drive the whole situation and then affirmed and helped me kind of sort out exactly what I was saying. Um, we, this is a long-term thing for me. I want, I want this career to be long-term and I, I want it to extend beyond my basketball career. And so I'm starting to build that now while I'm in college in order to be able to do that.
0: Are you sure you're only twenty two years old?
1: Well, I'm twenty one years old, DK. <laughs> I turned. Oh
0: my god, I made you even older. I thought, <laughs> oh lord. Okay, I'm glad you clarified. Twenty one people. Give me a break at at the experience and and maturity that's coming through this podcast now, and it, it gets only better here now. So you were selected to. Meta's NIL program, and you mentioned NIL, uh, and it needs it, People need to know what NIL is, which is name, image, and likeness. Uh, so Meta, and they need to know uh, those that don't. That is kind of the umbrella that, or the the parent company now for Facebook, Instagram, uh, threads, and WhatsApp, just to name three or four, so they're huge, and uh, tell us how you became aware and landed this tremendous uh, opportunity, and, and what you see as the benefits, and what does it all entail?
1: Yeah. So Ish from Dromos brought me this opportunity. She said, I highly, highly, highly suggest that you apply for this. I think you have a great opportunity of being selected. Um, I worked with Ish and Amy um, to kind of figure out my answers, um, just kind of do the best on my application that I could, because I wanted to be able to get my point across, because I think I really do have something to say. Um, and I Ish was like, I don't think that there will really be any other adapted athletes that apply for this and so that was kind of right up my avenue as well i want i want to be seen with other collegiate athletics as equal so all of these are this this nil empower program that meta is doing is for female collegiate athletes in order to kind of get training in building their brand and, and building their social media, gaining followers and kind of setting them up in the long run with connections and different training in order to be able to do that. Um, and they selected 30 uh, women in collegiate athletics, uh, collegiate athletes from various different schools, various different sports. I think they said that they had over 950 applicants and they selected 30. So that's a huge deal.
0: Wow. Uh,
1: So I'm very excited about, about this experience. It's a six month long program. So a semester long where I'll have training and I'll have access to coaches and I'll have different opportunities to kind of start building and growing and learning and adapting and kind of growing my follower base and learning how to do that.
0: (laughs) Huge, absolutely huge. And I'm the
1: only adapted, uh, I'm the only para athlete, wheelchair basketball athlete, collegiate um para athlete that is in that 30 person cohort as well so there's a huge avenue for that also yeah
0: yeah And and i love how you, i love the only part okay that that distinguishes set set you apart well let's do it one more time because you are the very first adaptive athlete and i already said i love saying that by the way that the only adaptive athlete to have received an nil deal uh uh, before or no after uh collegiate athletes were able to uh be compensated for name and image and likeness and you struck a deal with a degree and i just i want to clarify degree is as i know but maybe everybody doesn't know what i'm talking about it anti-burst brand and other products uh but how did this um, how did this exposure uh support your brand
1: I got the opportunity to work with Degree through the Open Doors app, which is the app that kind of helps connect athletes with different um, NIL opportunities. It was specifically something that I gained access to through when I was going to Tokyo for the Paralympics in Tokyo. Um, But Degree was looking for in that, that time they were doing their breaking limits team, which is kind of highlighting athletes that have broken limits to get to where they are um, today and what they're still doing to break limits in their sport, um, and in the performance in their sport. And they did like three phases ish of it. I was the first, um, like the first and adapted athlete and the only one in the first phase to be a part of it. And so that was super exciting to be able to kind of start off with and get to do. I loved working with degree, um occasionally i'll still do like a one-off thing with them but yeah that was really exciting just to kind of start to bridge that gap um in the athletics scene and and kind of bring that and bring awareness to the sport of wheelchair basketball and what it looks like
0: yeah you are you got it going on you, you know and i i know you need to remain humble and hungry and I get that, but man, you got it going on and, and you're just, you're just really beginning this whole end of your journey. And I can't wait to understand what it's going to look like, uh, in a year or two and, uh, after Paris. And, uh, so we've gotten through you know, all that side of thing. Now let's really, not really, but let's talk about a fun fact. Uh, not too many. I've never asked this on a <laughs> podcast before, but you love to crochet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, tell me why and how and what is that? What does crochet do for you? Uh I have my own opinion that it's almost a form of meditation, but tell me what you what you got going on with doing your thing.
1: (laughs) Um, It's a hobby that I picked up this summer when I wasn't in any classes, but we were traveling a lot and I needed something to do. And I found these little kits online that will teach you how to make little stuffed animals. I have it right here. It's sitting on my desk. It makes me smile.
0: (laughs) Oh. Uh,
1: (laughs) But anyways, it's a little elephant. Um, but anyways, it, I don't know, it's kind of relaxing and definitely something I'd like to get better at. I, it gives me something to do with my fingers. Um, and oh, I'm supposed to show it to the camera again so I can take a picture, but here it is. Here's the elephant.
0: Oh, how cute. God, I can't believe I said that. But,
1: um, but it's a new hobby. but it's something that I I have enjoyed doing in my free time. But there's not a lot of free time right now that I'm in classes, but I'll save my I'm doing a tiger. I'm going to give it away for my obby tiger fans out there. But it kind of looks <laughs> like it's right now. So it still needs to work.
0: Oh, well. I think that's very cool. You know, we all got to have our go-to thing that kind of centers us and, and slows the crazy train at times. And, and, uh, you know, mine is fishing, yours is crochet and it's all good. Um, you know, I got to really just, uh, express to you my gratitude while we're while i got you uh captive uh, but you uh flew in from dubai uh with uh i don't even know how much time you had a day or less or something and hopped on another uh airliner to dallas to support my dk3 uh finale um and uh you and a few a few others uh did that dance from dubai and and it's mind-boggling but i just wanted to let you know how much i appreciated that and how much it meant to me uh that you made the effort when you were on full fatigue and um, you know, last thing <laughs> any Paralympic athlete would want or you know, any athlete coming from the worlds would want to do is jump on another <laughs> airplane uh, in that short period of time. So uh, I'm really, really grateful, Bailey that you and your dad came. I got to spend time with both of you and we had a lot of fun and um, just wanted to let you know that.
1: I'm very thankful that I got to go. I was tired, but I wanted to be there and I'm, it's, it was a blessing to be there and I had a great time and it was super yes. fun to get to be a part of the King's farewell. So,
0: uh, um, yeah.
1: yeah, definitely fun.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm not going too far. I'm going to be kind of on, the uh, side helping matt scott he's really got some good things going already with his uh corporate relationships and and making it work uh to serve others so uh yeah you know and and again it's more than gold medals um so here we are uh bailey we have blazed through just about an hour um so I'm gonna ask you if if you have any parting words before uh, we jump off.
1: Just thanks for having me on. I'm. It was good to get to chat with you. Um, always a pleasure. But I appreciate it a lot.
0: Really cool. And uh, once again, everybody, what a episode. Uh. Bailey uh, being such an example of what's possible, uh, but only possible with her faith, with her family, and all the hard work that uh, goes along and that she has to put into uh, not only on the court, off the court training, but in the classroom uh, with uh with um of uh, a publicist and and an agent i mean it's work it's work and uh and from it comes great results so on behalf of the wheelprint podcast i want to thank everybody for listening and uh taking the time we are on apple spotify and we have a youtube channel so um i want to tell you to get out there and be a great human being and uh do the next right thing and uh aspire to be more today than you possibly can imagine like bailey Moody. anyway all right over and out from the Wheelprint Podcast. Thank you, Bailey. I hope you enjoyed today's show on the Wheelprint Podcast. I invite you to check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at DaveKileyDK3.com. Special thanks to Dromos Agency for producing this podcast. Our lead sponsor, PerformX Wheelchairs. A sweet ride.